Passing the Mic, the VC exchange, influencing social change for women in venture capital and for female entrepreneurs. Real stories, insider knowledge, unlocking the power of diversity. With host Neil Dempsey, managing general partner of Bay Partners, ranked as a top 100 venture capitalist on the Forbes Midas list. Welcome to Passing the Mic. I'm your host, Neil Dempsey, and today we are extremely excited to have special guest Jesse Draper joining us from Los Angeles. Today, we chat with a strong, successful female venture capitalist. Jesse talks about diversity in all facets, thoughts, people, teams, investments, and products. We ask her about pivoting into venture capital, and we learn about women-founded companies and their advantages. Jesse Draper is a fourth-generation venture capitalist, actress, writer, and host of the Emmy-nominated television series The Valley Showgirl and star of Meet the Drapers. She is a founding partner of Halogen Ventures and focuses on early-stage investing in consumer technology led by female and co-ed teams. She has over 65 portfolio companies and was listed as one of the 50 most connected women in America. Draper has been a contributor to Marie Claire, Mashable, Forbes, and is a regular investor and tech personality on shows including TLC's Girl Starter, The Katie Couric Show, Fox's Good Day LA, CNBC's Who Wants to Be the Next Millionaire Inventor, and Freeform's Startup U. Above all, she's a mother of three boys and is a leading player in advocating for women in venture capital. She proudly sits on many boards and is involved with the growing UCLA's female entrepreneurship community. Today, she's here to share the phenomenal insights from her journey before and after entering venture capital. Welcome, Jesse. Let's dive right in. Why did you decide to enter venture capital? Um, you know, it wasn't so direct for me. You um, kindly mentioned that I was a fourth generation venture capitalist, but I never felt like that. Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley in a less... Um, Hollywoodized Silicon Valley, I guess. Um, it definitely was not as exciting as I feel like television makes it look. It was a very slow, slow city. You know, I actually grew up in an incredible, very entrepreneurial family. I'm the oldest of four. My dad was always really supportive and trying to make us think of everything as a business. Um, but because he was a male, I didn't think women could go into this business, even though I grew up around startups and with four kids and my mom working incredibly hard to raise all of us, she would say things like, Oh, Hey Tim, you know, you're going on a business trip to Asia, like take a kid, you know, and I'd go and I'd have these incredible experiences. I was taking pitches with my dad from, you know, the age of 10 and, um, it was something that I, I just never saw a woman in the room, to be honest. And so the woman in my life who was really important in terms of, they say you can be what you can see, was my aunt, who was a very successful actress in the 80s and 90s. Her name was Polly Draper. And because of her, I was like, oh, that's a traditional job for a woman, you know, as an eight-year-old little girl. So I was like hyper-focused on entertainment. I was like, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to do this. I had a a plan mapped out, went to UCLA School of Theater, Film, and TV. I did always have sort of my parents in, my, in the background saying like, okay, let's do some business programs. Uh, let's make sure we have a backup plan here. This is like a little bit of a uh, not traditional career. Um, and I 
Um, had some success in acting, um, but I very quickly learned that it wasn't exactly, I was on the Nickelodeon show, I did a bunch of movies, um, but I very quickly learned that it wasn't really where my heart was. And I'd been auditioning and doing all these cattle calls. um, And while simultaneously, I was invited to one of the first Twitter conferences. And it was in about 2008, 2007, something like that. um, At the Skirball Center in Los Angeles. And I went and I had just had like a really weird audition where I just felt like completely dehumanized as a woman. And I was like, this is just not what I'm feeling. Um, I love entertainment, but I think that there's something else out there. And I went and it was like the early Twitterers and tweeters. And it was just like this community of mostly men, but I felt very comfortable there. (laughs) Um, I'd grown up in this community and I, I sort of said, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to do something different this year. And I was um, still on this Nickelodeon show, but we'd only film about six months out of the year. And so I decided instead of auditioning uh, during that hiatus, I would create the first tech talk show. It really was the first uh, in two, you know, 2008, like no one cared that I had the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt on the show. And it was unbelievable to me now um, how... Uh, people just, it was just a different time. And so I started this show and, um, you know, we took it to television. I was nominated for an Emmy. It was my own entrepreneurial journey. I all of a sudden was like running a show. We were acquiring technology news blogs in Los Angeles. We were uh, trying to build out kind of a business insider type opportunity and um, I got the show to television. And I hit this moment where after two seasons of the show, I realized I'd only interviewed men in technology and I was facilitating this problem. I had felt pain from growing up. And so I made an initiative to interview 50% women in tech. Um, they came in flocks. I call it like the Batwoman signal. Like I sent out the signal and I started getting pitched just hundreds of women. And I'd sometimes say, you know, you're a little early for the show. Love what you're doing. Let me help and see if I can get you some investment. Having grown up in Silicon Valley, I obviously worked with tons of investors. um, And I started sending people deals like Paperless Post and numerous others that you've heard of and have been very successful. So then I just started writing tiny angel checks or negotiating sweat equity and saying, you know what? Um, I can add value here. I can get you media exposure, whatever. Can I negotiate some sweat equity as an advisor or what have you? I created a nice little portfolio and um, that I kind of called my beta fund. Uh, it was called Valley Girl Ventures at the time. And that did really well for me. I sold a company on the secondary market for a 25X return in less than 18 months. Um, and then I hit this moment with the show where either I would go and raise venture capital money, which obviously I was incredibly familiar with. And I just felt like media was broken at that time. I was like, I'm barely breaking even on this show. CBS still today owes me money. I hope that they come and call me up and say, stop saying this because like, we'll pay you back. But like they do. And, um, you know, it was, it it was so broken. I think we're solving it now. We're almost there, but it was just broken. Um, and so I sort of said, you know what, I've been in this business for five years. And if I can't figure out how to, I don't want other people betting on me until I know how this is going to be a billion dollar return for them. So, um, I kind of, I think in the back of my head, I knew maybe I'd go raise a fund, but I just didn't feel like I could for so long. You know, it's like feeling like a fraud. It's uh, 
you know, it's like this whole thing Sheryl Sandberg talks about. Um, but, um, I did it. I went and I pitched about 500 potential investors, closed 50 of them, raised my first 10 million. And now, you know, we have about 50 million assets under management. We, um, have, you know, 70 companies and, um, we've made over a hundred investments, um, in these female founded companies. Uh, I just found out actually that I was the first, uh, solo GP in Los Angeles ever. Solo GP, meaning solo general partner. Um, and so that was kind of a cool, um, thing to hear, which shows we need a lot more. (laughs) Um, but, um, that's where we are today. That's how I got there. So the long route. Great stories. Do you have a lot of women in your firm or are they all women? Everyone is female, but we don't discriminate. I mean, you know how a VC fund works. So we have a lot of men in all different departments uh, that we work with. But, um, you know, it's funny because sometimes people say to me, well, I want to send you this deal, but there's a man who works there. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm building billion dollar businesses. So hopefully eventually like thousands of men work there. But right now I think people are they don't know how to like define it. We say there has to be a female on the founding team of five. And with 70 plus companies, we, um, we have three male CEOs actually. And I sit on the board of one of those. And I think that, you know, we really just try to think about diversity of age, race and gender with the bucket being gender. Um, you have to kind of like pick your bucket, but we make sure that our companies are thinking about that. Um, all of those things at the earliest stages. So what's your take on the absolute untapped potential to invest in women? It's untapped. I mean, it's an underrepresented opportunity, meaning bigger returns, like outsized returns. Um, Also, I feel like I've been preaching this for so many years now. And um, now there's thousands of reports. And it's so nice that I can actually reference reports that are like, you know what, diversity breeds success. You know, the Dell study said that women raise half as much capital and double the return. Um, We're finding out that women-oriented companies are um, more profitable uh, and that they exit a year faster. And so it's really an enormous opportunity not to make sure, like also like we forget that women are 80% of consumers in the United States and beyond and they spend the cash. So it's really important that they're a part of all of these businesses. So all that's true. How do you get more firms to invest in women? There's such a small percentage of firms that do. You know, I I love hearing this question from you because I do feel like it's your generation that has like, it's been really difficult for um, women to break in. And I think that's such a good question. And I hope that you encourage um, many more firms to get into it. I think what happens is like the traditional venture capitalists in Silicon Valley on Sand Hill Road, literally where I grew up, you know, they actually have the same LPs and the same advisors manage, you know, the majority of the capital in the world. It's about 20 advisors. And I think that they aren't seeking out new networks or creating actual emerging managers programs. Uh, this is actually a problem for just emerging managers in general. Um, and it's like, you know, 
much harder for women and people of color. Um, but I think emerging managers in general, that system is broken. Um, and these advisors who manage billions and billions of dollars of capital need to be like disrupted somehow, or, you know, why are 20 advisors making the majority of the cash decisions for the world? Um, it's, I think that's where something's broken. And if we disrupted that and added diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of every element of humanity, I think that we would see a really exciting um, broken system be fixed and disrupted. And we would see more cash going from um, different, like the typical places to these emerging managers I think that's broken. I think also for women in particular, um, you know, at first when I was raising my fund, I was like, oh, I'm going to go after all of the female billionaire philanthropists. I'm aware they're hard to get a hold of, but you know what? I'm ruthless. And I was like trying to meet with as many as I could. Unfortunately, we teach women to give away money before we teach them how to grow it. And so these philanthropists, while they have billions of dollars, feel more comfortable giving it away. And I would have endless meetings with them where they're like, I really like what you're doing, but I don't understand it. Will you talk to my husband? I'm like, I would love to talk to your husband because I've had six meetings with you and I don't have time to waste. I need to go put this money to work and I need to finish raising my fund. And they would, they would brag to me, oh, I wrote this multi-million dollar check to charity. And I'm like, that's great, but you can actually make more of an impact by investing in for-profit opportunities here with women in the lead. And um, that was something very frustrating for me. And so I actually started targeting women who'd run companies, women who had someone take a risk on them because they were more comfortable with risk uh, and risk capital. And they understood how it worked because... Um, the philanthropists, we need to kind of shift that mentality. So what's your idea on how to influence the same group of 20 to 30 organizations with large amounts of money that everyone goes to? So here's the thing, though. The Harvards and the Stanfords don't manage their own capital. They have an advisor. So I love that you asked this because it's I have a half-baked idea. So... <laughs> bear with me. I'm going to alienate every single future investor <laughs> right here, but uh, in my fund. But um, I, I think what we need to do is say, okay, so this particular, like call it Stanford, say they have a $20 billion endowment and um, this advisor manages that endowment. This advisor also manages the Harvard. It also manages many others. So this advisor, one of these 20 advisors, manages $100 billion plus dollars of capital. If we just threw a bomb in that and said, hey, if you have more than $4 billion of capital in your endowment institution, whatever it is, you can hire your own internal advisor. Like you can hire your own internal human who can manage this capital because then you don't have the same organizations with no diversity of thought managing the same capital that they've been managing for 50 years. Um, and I think that 
is what we need to do. Um, and I'm sure one of these advisors is going to hear this and be like, you're going to cost me my job. And I'm going to be like, you should still invest in my fund though, because I don't really have a choice. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's what I would say. We need to disrupt the advisor. So let's change the topic just a bit, Jesse. Women have families. Women are involved in their families and have children just like you. How do you navigate in the venture capital world and or if you're running a company? You know, we're collecting a bunch of research right now on how to support families, both moms and dads. And I would I would encourage you in every conversation you have with a father to ask the same thing. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, I manage it. I have fundraised through three babies and I can afford help. The majority of uh, people cannot. And I feel very lucky to be able to do that. But because we're venture capitalists at my firm, we think a lot about, okay, you know, as a VC, um, you understand, you look 10, 20, 30 years in the future and you say, okay, well, where should we invest our dollars now so that it pays off in the future? And right now we're doing a ton in childcare, which is a $648 billion industry. And we actually collected a bunch of research that if you invest in the future of families, which is childcare and beyond, that's everything, technologies, products, supporting the family. That's a $7.5 trillion opportunity. And it's broken. It's so broken. So I think we're trying to invest in technologies that support, you know, all of these incredible working parents. Um, and I think we need, you know, paid paid paternity leave. We need to make sure that men are taking time off too. You know, my husband um, until recently was at a large PE firm. PE firm, referring to a private equity firm. And I just had another baby six months ago. And he said, um, I kept saying, okay, so like, when are you taking time off? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, so I had the baby. So the baby's here. So when are you taking time off? And he's like, I don't even know what our paternity leave policy is. And I'm sort of afraid to ask because it's mostly men at my company. And I'm like, you need to ask because we have to have these conversations and you have to take the full paternity leave and you have to take the full maternity leave. Um, I actually just wrote this article called, um, it's a whole baby, take the whole maternity leave because a friend of mine is a partner at a very well-known law firm. And she found out that she was the first woman to take the full maternity leave. And she had said, her, her boss had said, Oh, I, um, I would tell you who it was, but I don't want her to get in trouble or anything. But um, her boss had said, so you're, you're pregnant. Are you going to take the full maternity leave? And she said, it's a whole baby. Like, why wouldn't I take the full maternity leave? And I think we need to make that normal um, because that sets families up for success. But in addition to that, I mean, four children, zero through six, the whole system's broken. So I'm, we're trying to solve that right now. Um, I just did a great Instagram live with one of our um, founders from Hop Skip Drive, who's, um, you know, this all begins with education and she provides safe transportation for children, um, both uh, in the foster care system, homeless youth, uh, and works with the government. And in addition to just the general uh, parent and consumer, she provides safe transportation for kids to go to and from school and activities. Um, and I think that's where it all begins is we need to just get the kids to school. <laughs> um, so I think we'll start there, but I have a lot of thoughts on this. 
You pivoted from being an actress to a venture capitalist. You've done this very successfully. How do we encourage other people who want to change careers into technology or venture capital? You know, I'm a strong believer, uh, and my grandfather always made me feel this way, but I'm a strong believer that um, anyone can do anything at any time. And you don't need the background. You don't need to have gone to the right school. You don't need the right training. You can always change. You can always change your career. I think, you know, if you're miserable in whatever you're doing, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. So start figuring out and hashing out your plan and figure out how you're going to get to that next, you know, phase or trajectory. You know, I think COVID has been this, um, really interesting shift in so many things, but especially this perspective of work. Like people are, if they're unhappy doing what they're doing, they're much more unhappy on Zoom or doing it from home or whatever it means. Jesse, you you talked about reinvention and how important it is to leave one career and go to another successfully. And I've got personal experience in reinvention and I'm a big believer in that, uh, reinventing myself all the time. Uh, you know, way back when I graduated from college, you know, hundred years ago, um, I got a real job. I mean, yeah, a real job. So that lasted a few years and I was bored with the real job, so to speak, and decided to start three technology companies, two of which failed miserably. That was a tough experience when you think you're really a, a superstar. And, uh, the first two were failures, but the third one was, was just okay. We took it public and had, had a bit of success. And the main thing is we paid back the uh, investors a lot of the money that I previously lost for them. So that pleased them enormously. And one of them has said to me, Neil, I don't know what your next step is, but maybe you could think about joining us and be a, an associate in a venture capital firm, our firm. And I said to myself, I don't have hardly any options, and maybe I should take that. So I did that. And what I learned was that I was competing with all the major brand name schools, Harvard, Yale, Duke, University of Chicago, Stanford, as my fellow associates. And I was the only associate that was from a non-brand school, better known as a uh, state school in, in Seattle at the University of Washington. And what I learned was venture capital is all about the people. And if you meet a lot of people and, and influence them some way, you'll convince them to be part of a Bay Partners investment. But you got to do that. you got to really be selling. You can't have enough breakfast, lunches, and dinners. You can't meet enough people. And you can't be friendly enough. You have to gain uh, access by being friendly to people and understanding what they're trying to do, what kind of company they're trying to build. And I did that a bit like a madman for several years. And I ended up being you know, successful at doing it because you just had a lot of opportunities. And my partners like that. And, and uh, therefore, they, they approved a lot of the investments I made, and I was fortunate enough to be successful. So the big news here really is that you don't necessarily need an MBA. You don't necessarily need to be from a brand name school. You just need to be good with people and ha- have a passion to reinvent yourself from whatever it is today. So if you're, if you're a young venture capital uh, woman like Sarah Lindquist of Fuse Ventures, she was a consumer marketing person before. And she's decided to get into technology venture capital. And she's doing it successfully because of that. So I encourage everybody to reinvent if they don't like what they're doing or if they want the opportunity to, to enter into venture capital, just like Jesse did. 
if you're not happy with what you're doing today and you want to make a change, you just got to do it. Assuming you've given what you're doing a best shot and it just isn't for you, the idea is then get out. Go do something different. If you want to be in venture capital, then do it. If you want something else, do it. Don't sit around and mope about it and don't feel and feel bad about it. Be, feel bad, feel sorry for yourself. Reinvent yourself. You're young, you're smart, you can do it. Jesse, can you give me an example of someone who had to reinvent themselves or their career? Oh, yeah. Just to give anyone out there listening, my nanny who worked with me for five years and was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I like didn't have to think about my kids. She took care of it. She was just like this magical human being. But you know what? I don't know if you guys have had a relationship with someone who helps take care of your children, but it really is like this interesting relationship where it's like they're part of your family. And I'm, you know, I understand I'm very lucky to be able to afford that help, but she's part of my family. I want her to do well. And she hit this point before COVID where she said, you know what? I don't want to be a nanny anymore. And I was like, you know, it's heartbroken. Like, what am I going to do? But I'm like, okay, well, I love you so much. What do you want to do? She is now working at one of my startups. Um, and she is doing something completely different. She's doing operations and logistics. I just talked to the CEO yesterday. I sit on the board of this company and she's like, like you literally sent me the most magical human being of all time. I think that we're doing well because of her. Thank you so much. Um, and you know, I think if you work hard at whatever it is you do, um, you can like, while I was able to like, you know, help make that introduction cause I knew what qualifications they were looking for. And I had helped her like, you know, go through, um, our fellowship program. Um, I think there were a couple things that I tried to like add to her, uh, resume, but like she completely shifted careers. And I think you can spot talent wherever it is. And, um, if you work incredibly hard, I would just say, stay laser focused on whatever it is right now. I'm like hyper-focused and like maniacal about solving the childcare crisis. And that I just want to research every single day. I just want to know everything about it. And I think you need to just actively go at whatever profession you're in. You need to go at it like that. Just laser focus, learn everything you can, um, be open to new ideas and work really hard. Jesse, can you talk to the world? Because you need to. I'm trying. I'm trying. Go to. <laughs> How do we combat gender disparity in our business and others? Yeah. What are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, like there's a lot of um, gender disparities, I think, in this profession and so many others. And it's it's a bummer. It's been really it's been really tough for me. And, you know, I don't feel like I feel like we've made a lot of traction and been investing in female founders for a long time, longer than most. And as a specific focus, and at least now people are listening, but I still come across regularly, um, you know, typically male investors who say, oh, you're investing in just like, that's such a small opportunity. That's such a niche. And I say, oh, well, how many deals did you see last year? And they say, oh, we saw a couple hundred. And I'm like, okay, well, I saw 5,000. So I don't feel like it's a niche. And we're, you know, there's such an opportunity. And I think it's also about putting yourself out there in new networks. And, um, you know, we found that by just saying, hey, we're looking for women, we have over 50% minority-led companies because, 
it's like we went off of this traditional path of finding the founders. Um, and I think, you know, there definitely are moments that I get very discouraged and like, you know, um, I wrote an article called investing in women isn't a fucking charity. And I'm sorry, I swore. I'm sorry, I swore. But I think that it, it went around the world and back. Um, it got over a million impressions in about a week. And I'd never written anything like that before. And I think it's because people felt my pain. But in it, I, I, pro, I talked about how I went to a pitch meeting that one of my investors had asked me to come to. And it was this dinner. And she was like, hey, there's all these guys. Um, and they're going to... Uh, potentially be potential investors for you. You can come, like you can present. Um, I got there. It was like a very unprofessional situation. And um, these are men with, you know, millions and millions of dollars who could potentially invest, but they were booking prostitutes in front of me. It was a very um, unfortunate circumstance. And that was only a couple of years ago. And so I think those things really need to change because, what can I do? Um, they're obviously not, they obviously don't support women. They obviously have a lot against them. Um, and, um, I think that those stories will be coming out continuously and have started coming out more and more, but that's still here. And that's going to, until that changes, I mean, we're never going to have equality, you know? Um, and like recently I, um, I'm a big, uh, I love crypto and I have some crypto and I follow a lot of these like cryptocurrency guys on Twitter. Twitter's where all the trolls are, but I still participate because I feel like we need female voices, but it's like where all the trolls are. Like I've blocked so many people on Twitter. It's very frustrating. But they, um, there were a bunch of uh, crypto guys and they're like tweeting 69 for 20, 69 for 20. And I retweeted it, like not even thinking like, yeah, I want it to go to 69,000. I want Bitcoin to go to 69,000 for 20. Great. You know, it's never been that high. And I retweeted it. And then I'm reading the comments and I realized, wait a second, I just retweeted something. And the reason these guys are voting on 69 for 20 is because 69 is a sexual position and 420 is National Marijuana Day. While I am passionate about both of those things in some capacity, <laughs> that just makes me feel sick. Like that just, I was like, this is wrong. You know, this is wrong. And I think things like that, we need more female voices in the conversation, expressing opinions like this and just, you know, we need to feel equal before it's going to change in any industry. That's fantastic. So what are the resources that can help women in venture capital get into partnership roles or resources for inspiring young women who want to get into these roles, but do not have the support around them? Where do you find the organizations that can help support these women? Yeah, there's um, a, a running list I kind of try to keep tabs on. Um, and these are not investments of mine. These are companies that have come across my desk. Um, but there's one called Chief that's for um, uh, executives of all sort where you, sorts, you know, lean in. I have a lean in group I've had for about 
12 years where we're all in different professions and it's basically like 10 women from all different professions. We support each other professionally and kind of like talk out things. Um, so lean in does a really good job of that. And if you want to set up your own, do that through lean in. Um, I actually met a company yesterday called the association that is trying to create everyone's own personal board of directors, specifically targeting women. Um, you know, there are always female oriented groups. If you're at uh, any of these larger corporations and if there isn't one start one, I mean, like I've spoken to the Facebook women's group, uh, Harvard business school has a women's group, you know, um, there are so many organizations, like every law firm has a women's group. And if they don't, that's a problem. Make sure you have some sort of women's group. And by the way, men should go to those as well. They should go to the women's groups as well. I think they learn a lot. Like, um, I talked to a friend of mine who's, uh, a lawyer. And he, um, he said, I, I feel weird. I just wanted to call you because I feel weird. I went to the women's group at my firm. I went to the like meeting and I felt weird because I was the only guy. And I said, no, that's good. He's like, I mean, I, I'm trying, like I'm trying to support them. And I said, good, do that. Like show up, feel uncomfortable. That's what we need. We need you to hear those things so you can go spread, you know, the good female juju around. Um, but I think there are, so we have yeah. So I'd say check out Chief, check out the association. Um, there are so many, uh, there's Female Founders Collective, which is Rebecca Minkoff's for entrepreneurs who are women. Um, it's a great organization and they have a subscription opportunity that is called 10th House if you are a founder and um, want more programming. Um, but these are all great uh, things that kind of like create women's groups all over the country. I mean, they, they really do work. I've spoken to several of them here in Seattle, Chicago, Amsterdam, and London. These groups are sponges for information and dialogue. This has been wonderful, Jesse. So one last word from you and how we get more women involved in venture capital. I think invest in women. Um, make sure you're investing in women. Make sure you're investing in female-run funds. Um, make sure that you are breathing down the throats of your male CEOs, uh, and saying, Hey, I don't see any women or diversity here and make sure that your organization reflects diversity at every level from the board all the way through the organization, because that will create for a stronger, more successful business overall. And, um, diversity of thought is incredibly important. So think about age, race, and gender when you're building a business. So I'd say that's something that will really help, um, uh, women and people of, of color. Uh, I think that's, that's what we need. We need people to just look for things that are different. And I really appreciate different perspectives. Like, I don't think anyone wants to be around people who think the same way as them. I mean, it makes you less interesting and you learn less. And I think that's how we should think about our businesses. Thank you again, Jesse, for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Jesse Draper, Halogen Ventures, and our upcoming podcasts, visit neildempsey.com. Subscribe. Subscribe, comment, and share our show. Passing the mic, the VC exchange. Visit neildempsey.com to connect. neildempsey.com to connect. Mixed at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.